Well, let me have you remain standing for a moment, and let's take our Bibles together. And we're going to turn this morning to two passages that will be our reading. The first is in Acts chapter 6. The second is in 1 Timothy, I mean 1 Timothy chapter 3. Acts chapter 6 is our first passage. We'll read verses 1 through 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We'll read verse 7 as well. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And then let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and here we will read verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We know that though the flower fades... Though the grass vanishes, that your word remains forever. And we thank you, Lord, that we have access to your word, that you have given it to us. You have revealed yourself, your will, your mind to us, Lord. And we thank you that you have given it to us to equip your church. We pray that you would bless our time in your word this morning. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels said this. He said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And then he demonstrated that. He demonstrated it by laying down his life, though not really for friends. He laid down his life for us. For those of us who were not his friends, who the Bible says were enemies While we were yet enemies, Paul writes, Christ died for us. 
And he did this to make us a part of his mystical body, the church, the glorious body of Christ. He dwells in his church. He builds his church. He builds his church up and he builds his church out. He protects his church. He rules his church. He cares for his church. Not just spiritually, but but physically as well. He loves us with a love that we cannot comprehend. And he has chosen to express his love for the church in different ways. One of those ways is that he does so through those same wretched, sinful people that he has brought into the church through the work of the Spirit and on the basis of his own redeeming work on the cross to the unending praise and the glorious of his glorious grace and mercy. And Christ has worked these things into his church, giving us his word, giving us his directions regarding both the, the, the means, the offices that he gives to the church and the men who fill those offices through which he, he leads and provides for his church. You know those offices, the offices that the New Testament teaches as the offices of elder and deacon. We, as you know, have three elders in our congregation. There's Jim Westberg, there is Brad DeBoer, who was with us this morning, who is a sort of an on-loan elder that we appreciate very much from another congregation, and myself as the pastor or the teaching elder of our congregation. Well, this morning, at the end of our service, we are going to be celebrating the grace of God to our congregation by his providing us with our very first deacon. And so this morning, I want to take a few moments and speak to you about the office of deacon, that office that Christ himself has given to us for the proper functioning and the the health of the church. This is a little bit out of the ordinary since it was just right after the first of the year that we talked about. In fact, I think we were out at Keith's uh, property meeting there when we talked about the offices of elder and deacon. But I think in this situation this morning that it's appropriate, and I, I point to what Paul told the, told the Philippians, that it, that it is not burdensome for me to write the same things to you, and for you it is good. And so it's good for us to be reminded of this. You, as well as Keith this morning, will be promising to do certain things when we come to that part of the service. And as these vows that he will take and we will take are serious vows, a little review of the distinction and the origin and the function and the requirements of the office of deacon, or what we sometimes refer to as the diaconate, you may hear me say that in the message this morning, that's just the the office of deacons, the work of the deacons, a little review of that will be profitable, I think, to all of us. First, let's take note and make a note about the distinction of the office of deacon. As I mentioned in the New Testament, there are two main offices in the church. There are the elders and there are the deacons. There are the elders in the church. They are the men whom God has called and equipped and gifted and qualified to lead 
the church, to rule over the church as his under-shepherds. He is the leader of the church. Christ is the head of the church. We make no, there's no doubt about that. But again, he has chosen to use men in the church to serve the local congregation. And in one of those offices, he has given us elders who rule and lead the congregation. Their work is to give direction. Their work is to shepherd the sheep, to rule according to the word of God. They are qualified by their possession of spiritual maturity, of demonstrated gifts of ruling and the ability to teach. That office of elder is further divided, um, depending on who you are, either hardly divided or more softly divided, but divided into what we call ruling elders, who are the elders who, who rule. But there's a distinction of, of the elder in the church whose particular focus and ability and calling and gifting is to teach and to preach sometimes referred to as the teaching elder, sometimes as a minister or the pastor of the church. So there are the elders. The office of deacon, on the other hand, is the office of service. It's the the office of ministry to the physical needs of the congregation. The men who hold this office are also called by God. They are equipped by God. They are gifted. They are qualified. Like the elders, deacons are made by God because he is the one that does all of those things, calling and equipping and gifting. But they are recognized in the local congregation. They are chosen by the local congregation. They are set apart to their work in the local congregation by the local congregation. You choose your deacons just as you choose your elders. And that happened in the early church. It is important to understand that those are two separate offices. Elders are not deacons and deacons are not elders. The duties are different, which goes right along with what we've seen in 1 Corinthians 12, which we looked at as we've been going through Romans 12. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And so he gives us two offices. Ministering to physical needs, which the deacons do, is important, as well as ministering to spiritual needs, which is the primary work of the elders. And it, that is the office of deacon, is as much a calling of God as the elders or the minister. The qualifications of the first deacons were, as we read in Acts chapter 6, that they were to be of good repute and full of the spirit and wisdom. We read in 1 Timothy 3 that the qualifications for the deacons, uh, if we were to read that whole chapter and laid it up against the qualifications of the elders, those qualifications for deacons are just as demanding as the qualifications for elders and ministers. We don't have time to go through all of those qualifications this morning. We did that earlier in the year. But it requires a man who is spiritually mature. A man who is dignified, honest, 
A man of his word, not a drunkard, not greedy. It requires a man who has a good understanding of the Christian faith. In our denomination, that will necessitate that he agree with our confessions and agree that they accurately represent the Scripture so that we can look to the the confessions and say, this is what the Bible says about these things. it, It is required of such a man that he have a stable home life in regard to his wife and his children. And practically, it requires someone who has a heart for people Someone who is genuinely concerned about meeting needs. Who has a gentle word and will be able to deal with those in need in a way that demonstrates the love of Christ. That is the work of the deacon, is to demonstrate the love of Christ to the congregation. It is very important in the church. And I mentioned that that men are equipped and gifted and qualified by God. They are also called by God to this work. And because it is true that God calls men to this work, we recognize, we in this denomination, in our church, in Christendom generally, we recognize, we ordain men to serve in this capacity. That means that as an official function of the church, we recognize a man's calling to and set him apart to that particular work in the church. That is what we're going to be doing at the end of our service this morning. The office of deacon is an ordained office, just like an elder is an ordained office, just as a minister is an ordained office. And just as one who aspires to the office of overseer desires a noble task, as Paul says in 1 Timothy. The office of deacon carries biblically mandated honor for those who serve well in it. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 there in verse 13, we read it. It says, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. And though the office of of deacon is not a ruling office, not a directing office in the church, they do have a certain amount of authority in the church. In Acts chapter 6, for example, which uh, which we read, the apostles are, are looking for men, they say, to appoint, literally to put in charge of the concerns that were taking place. Deacons are assigned to a position of authority in those areas under the authority of the elders in the church. It's also important to remember that deacons are not elders. They are not junior elders. They are accountable to the elders, just as everyone in the church is accountable to the elders, including the elders. But deacons have different gifts, they have different callings, they have different functions. Deacons do not rule, that is not their gift, that is not the purpose of that office. Their purpose, their office is one of service. It's not a lesser office, it's a different office. The diaconate is the office of compassion in the church, the arm of service in the church. So with that, let's look a little more at what the office of deacon is for, what tasks deacons are called to in the church, what you can expect of those filling the office of deacon in this church. In 1 Timothy 3, 
as I mentioned, we, we read that. We read that list of qualifications for those who would hold the office of, of deacon. And, and right before that, what we didn't read are, the, as I mentioned, the qualifications for those who would serve in the office of elder. But what we find there, while we find those qualifications very critical and important, we, we find there what such men are to be. But we don't find there too much information to help us know what deacons are supposed to do. There's not a lot of direct teaching in Scripture that tells us what the work of the deacon is. We have to do a little detective work, but our detective work will land squarely in the time in the church where the office of deacon was really instituted. And that was where we read, and that's where we're going to turn again to Acts chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible still open, look back into Acts chapter 6 where we read, beginning in verse 1. We read, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's stop there for a moment. As we come to Acts chapter 6, Acts, the book of Acts, as you know, is the history of the New Testament church. And here in Acts chapter 6, the church is, is young, it is growing. Paul begins to say, or um, Luke writes there, that the disciples were increasing in number. That means the church was growing, was getting bigger there. And as the Christians, as we see earlier in the book of Acts, were in the habit of providing for those of their number who had need, bringing money and possessions so that there would not be anyone in the church who had lack, who suffered lack, But as that happened, there was a problem that arose where the organizational aspect of the church was beginning to be strained. Part of the ministry of the church was, as we read here in Acts chapter 6, was specifically to give support to the widows of the congregation. Now, we might not think of that as a big deal today, but then there was no social net uh, to speak of. And widows who, without any other family to support them, were in a situation that if the church didn't help them, that they would be destitute. And we're speaking here, particularly at this early point in the church, about the church in Jerusalem. This is before the the persecution that caused the church to be spread out into all of the, the areas. So here, particularly, we're talking about the church in Jerusalem. And what was happening was that the Hellenists, as Paul, or as Luke speaks of, been in Romans too long, everything's Paul, uh, that Luke speaks of here, the Hellenists, who were the Greek-speaking Jews, that they were complaining that the, the Jewish widows, the Hebrew-speaking widows, uh, were getting all of the support, that they were getting all of the supplies, that there was some sort of... of, of discontinuity between the distribution of the help when each day they would receive what they needed to get them by and and so they came to the apostles who were the leaders of the church and they let them know about this they asked them about this by the way a great reminder that if there's a problem in the church you should come to the elders about it Um, let them know And that's what they did here. And then in verses 2 through 6, 
Luke records for us the response of the apostles, of the rulers of the church. Let's read it. It says that the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And then we get a list of the men that they... That they chose, and verse 6 says that they set them before the apostles, and they, the apostles, prayed and laid their hands on them. This is normally understood, and I think properly understood, as the institution of the office of deacon in the church. They were ordained then to the office of church. It says that they were appointed, verse 3, and that in verse 6 that the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. That's the act of ordaining someone, officially setting them apart, that everyone recognizes that they are set apart to this work. And I think this is the institution of the office of deacon, although the word deacon isn't used here. Now Paul does use the word in his letter to Timothy that we read a portion of, The Greek word from which we get the word deacon and which Paul uses in 1 Timothy 3 is the word diakonos. You see where we get deacon from that. Uh, Only five times is it translated deacon. And four of those are there in 1 Timothy as he explains that. Most often the word deacon is translated servant. And that's important. The other time that, that the word is used is in Philippians 1.1 in his greeting to them where Paul addresses that letter. He says, to the saints which are at Philippi with the overseers, that is the elders, and deacons. Another proof there that this is a perpetual office, an office that was to continue to go on in the church, being mentioned in the same breath as the elders. But the term deacon, as I say, is very helpful in understanding the function of the deacons. Among the gifts that we saw in Romans chapter 12 a few weeks ago when we were back at the beginning of that chapter, and it's used elsewhere, is this idea of gifts, Paul says, gifts of diakonia, gifts of deaconing is what he's saying, gifts of service, gifts of showing mercy. The work in Acts chapter 6 of providing for the needs of the needy as, they are, as it is termed there, waiting tables, is this the seed from which the broader functions of the office of deacon that we have today grew. They were almost literally waiting tables in that they were serving the physical needs of the church. And so the deacons today tend to the needs in the church. That's one of the That's the primary purpose of the deacons is to serve the needs of the congregation, to see that there are none in lack, none that suffer, that everyone has what they need. A second and secondary reason here in Acts chapter 6 for identifying and appointing these men within the church was in verse 2 you see that the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, that means the whole church together, and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, 
be very clear here that they are not saying that attending to physical needs is somehow beneath the dignity of the apostles or of the elders. In fact, if you look at our church order, it says that if there are no deacons in a congregation, that all of the work of the diaconate are to be, is to be done by the elders. And that's what's gone on in our congregation since the beginning of our congregation uh, till today, is that the elders have done this work. But it was not, Luke says here, the apostles say here, it was not conducive to their calling as the elders that they deal with these things to the neglect of their proper work of prayer and teaching and preaching. So by directing the congregation to find other men, seven men, to do this work, the rulers, the teachers, the preachers, the apostles of the church were freed up from it. They were assisted by the deacons who would take on some of the other work. And that continues to be an important task of the diaconate in the church. They actually serve to facilitate the work of the ministry of the word that the elders and the pastor do in all of its forms by alleviating those who are called to the ministry of the word of responsibility for some of these other essential ministries. That is, the deacons free up the elders of the church to do the things that they particularly are called to do. And because those physical aspects then and now of the ministry, dealing with the physical needs and day-to-day physical aspects of the operation of the church, because those consume, you would be surprised to see the, the huge amount of time that those kinds of things can take, the deacons are given to assist the elders in their work. So from Acts chapter 6, we see a twofold purpose, twofold work of the deacons. One is to minister to physical needs within the congregation, and second, to, by doing so, to assist the church leaders with necessary tasks. And this is really all of the specific kind of direction regarding the work of the deacons that we have. The rest is the, the logical biblical outworking of those initial tasks worked out over years in the church. And so some of the tasks that that fall to the work of the deacons are these, at the simplest and most generic level, and this is what most people think of, they are the ones who collect the donations made by God's people, and they are the ones who then disperse the resources of the church to those in need. Just what they did in the early church. In fact, before Acts chapter 6, back in Acts chapter 4, we read this, that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Then we get to Acts chapter 6, and now that, that aspect of taking those gifts and distributing to those who had need, that is now given to the deacons. And we can say that whereas the elders provide for the spiritual needs of the congregation, the deacons provide for the material needs of the congregation. Ministering to those who are poor, who are suffering, and in need of physical help in various ways. But they do so in a spiritual way. 
You know, the Lord Jesus has directed the church that one of the basic tasks of the church and indeed the identifying mark of the church is that we have and exhibit love for one another. Love, by the way, to review from a couple weeks ago, love that should be genuine and sincere. We are to love all people, of course, but the church is preeminently to be concerned with loving those of the church. Paul in Galatians 6.10 said, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. He said, And especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that is the work of the deacons, to do good to those who are of the household of faith, primarily those in our own local congregation and in situations where it is um, allowable and is um, appropriate, those outside of the church. They, the deacons, are the church's formal means of bearing one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what they do. What we all are to do individually, we've been talking about this um, in our look at Romans chapter 12, we've seen that we are all individually to be involved in this kind of thing, but what we are all to do individually finds corporate expression in the work of the deacons of the church. So, the office and the task of the deacons properly considered is much more than just collecting the offering. It is a far more difficult and time-consuming office than many give credit for, or than many deacons even understand. Far more difficult and time-consuming. By the way, would someone make sure Keith does not leave (laughs) as we talk about this? (laughs) Because they're often thought of as those who take the offering and maybe print out the annual statements at the end of the year, but their work is more than that. They are far more than offering takers, money counters, though that's part of their work. They are responsible to encourage the congregation in proper giving. They are to be discerning the needs of everyone and to help meet them, even at times to take that most difficult step of asking someone, do you need help? Because many of us are very reticent to come to someone and say, I need help. So that's part of their work. However, a properly functioning deacon will not just throw money at problems. Their work is, as I mentioned earlier, to minister the love of Christ to individuals. Jesus' words in Matthew 25, in verses 35 and 36, again, reflect the work of the deacons in the church. Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's part of the work of the deacons. Our church order says that deacons are called to show forth the compassion of Christ in a manifold ministry of mercy toward the saints and strangers on behalf of the church. To this end, they exercise in the fellowship of the church a recognized stewardship of care and of gifts for those in need or distress. 
It says that they are to do that. The, boards, uh, the, the board of deacons will oversee the ministry of mercy in the church and shall collect and distribute funds for the relief of the needy. Other forms of service for the church may also be committed to the deacons. Again, see there, the idea there is that they are the service branch of the ministry, the formal ministry of the church. And so typically to the deacons falls the work of, of ushering building preparation in the morning, setting up for communion and so on. Those are all things that have sort of come in as part of the deacons. They don't personally have to do all of that, but they coordinate it. They delegate it. They oversee those things that are within their job description. Our deacon perhaps will come to you if there's a need and he knows that you can help to fulfill a particular need in the congregation. And when he does that, recognize him as coming on behalf of the king and chief servant of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because they deal with the finances of the church. They need to be good stewards of money or the other goods of God's people. They need to be diligent and need to be careful and need to be biblical to investigate needs that are brought forward and causes that are recommended for the giving of the church's money. They deal with budgets. They deal with overseeing the use of funds and properly seeing to it that money is available for benevolence and for outreach and for building needs. Their work is to be directing the giving of members at times, of assisting members with funds and and with help, aiding widows and the single and the infirm. In 1 Timothy 5, you know, there are those instructions on how the church is to to deal with and to help and to give aid and assistance for widows in the church. That's a text not just for all of us, but particularly for the deacons. And they are to do all of this in a spiritual way. The support and the relief work of the deacons is not an end in itself, but is a means to a greater end. Deacons are those who see to it that there are no forgotten or neglected people in the church of God or that there are none who are so bound up and oppressed that the joy of salvation and release from all of the bondage that they have in Christ is no longer before their eyes, no longer apparent to them. They make sure that everyone can fulfill his or her calling as as parents or members of the church because they're not disadvantaged in any way. It is therefore never just a matter of seeing to it that no one's without food, but it is a matter of seeing to it that the joy in the Spirit as free children of God is realized by every person within the communion of saints. In all the things that the deacons do, in managing finances, material assets, and in ministering to the physical needs of God's people, again, they are always doing so as an expression of the love of Christ for the people in the church. It's said that that we are God's hands. And if that's true, then we might say that the deacons are the tools in the hands of the church and therefore in the hand of of the blessed king of the church to tend the garden that is the church. And the faithful service that they render, beloved, they render not only on behalf of Christ, 
but as it were to Christ, just as we all do. Remember in that passage in Matthew 25, Jesus, as he talked about those things and those things that were done, he said, as you do it, did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the primary duties then of the deacons is to see that those in the church who are in material need and material distress are helped by the church, by what you give, by what you are able to give, by what you are able to do. To see that they are relieved of of those miseries of life. And that they do so that they, and they devote their time and they devote themselves to those things. And take the, the work of, of the physical aspect of the church so that the elders can devote their time and devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and the spiritual needs of the congregation. And again, we are thankful that the Lord has raised up our elders in this church. And that as of this morning, he has raised up a deacon within our congregation. It remains for you, beloved, to prayerfully, dutifully, seriously support all of those men in, in the work that they have been called to do here. To be in biblical submission to the elders and to give as you can to supply the deacons with what they need for their work. Also, remember to continue to be on the lookout for men who fit the qualifications, who exhibit the giftedness for ruling and and teaching or mercy and compassion. Make note of them, make inquiries of them, pray for them, pray that the Lord will send and raise up men who can serve as deacons and elders in this congregation. So let us thank the Lord and King of the church this morning for his love to the church, his compassion for his church, and for his promise that he will build his church and that he will uphold his church, that he will sanctify his church. He will perfect his church. And remember that among the means that he does that, he uses the ministry of men, men that he has called as they faithfully serve, properly submitted and guided and humbled before his most holy word. And to that, let us say, amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your manifold love to the church. We thank you for the fact that you provide your church with all that it needs. We thank you that that you, Lord, have given to us the, the most important thing, and that is membership in the church universal. That you have brought us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. We thank you that you have brought us together as a church. And we thank you for providing for us in the past and for your provision for us now this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless this congregation and help us as we seek to to serve you. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.